0: Welcome to Stay Reading, a modern take on the book club. I'm Chris Penrose.
1: And I'm Megan Yuri Young.
0: On today's episode, we have Akil Augustine and Ambreen Anayat.
1: Akil definitely has the biggest personality I know. He's also color analyst, host, and producer of NBA Canada, and co-founder of Hoot Club TO.
0: And Ambreen is an artistic producer, director, and curator. She works with economic development and culture at the City of Toronto, and does amazing things in connecting institutions, culture, and music through Nuit Blanche. I'm Breen, Akil, welcome to Stay Reading. Thanks, Thanks for having, having us. us. <laughs> what? Thanks <laughs> on you, Cheesies and Freezies. <laughs>
1: Akil, what kind of reader are you?
2: Wow. Um... I am. Um, I don't know. I guess I consider myself a life hacker. Like I read to obtain information. Mm-hmm. I don't read fiction. Um, I'm. I feel like for me, the reason I got into reading is because I didn't feel like I had accurate models of how the world worked growing up. So I needed to update the models and, and get the information to accomplish the things I want to accomplish. So I read a lot of. Um, Nonfiction. I read studies. I read textbooks. I read books on spirituality. A lot of. I'm really into life hacking, man. So that's the kind of reader I am. It's awesome. And and poetry. Poetry may be the one type of. Is it, I don't think it's fiction, but it's almost fiction sometimes. Sometimes. I feel like you're a poet. I do write poetry too. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And you're also uh, into audiobooks, books. You're saying. Yeah, little... that's
2: that's the latest thing right now. When um, during the season, not a lot of time to sit down and, and read, but I do take the transit so. When I'm on the train, I just listen to as much as I can.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um I'm What kind of reader are you?
3: I would say I'm like a serial reader, which sort of speaks to my like personal life, I'm not monogamous, but uh for now. So, I don't know. I guess I have a bunch of books that I just I like to see them and I sort of go by my mood so that I always have them out. And they're mostly around self-help books just cuz I just love, you know, learning and growing, trying to become better and also like I stopped reading for like eight years, I think
1: we all go through a yeah. point where we stop reading. Yeah, so
3: I'm back, um, and it largely was because I work with artists and I read a lot of like artistic texts and statements, and I'm constantly doing research on what's going on in the world and what is the intention behind the work. So when you're reading all day for a living, sometimes your brain needs like to just chill so I read a lot of People magazine unfortunately for like a long time until one day I was like this is just so bad so bad and then um, yeah it's all based on mood but I do listen to audiobooks uh, like Akil and a lot of stuff that transports me to another world in terms of audiobooks so I'm reading uh, listening to this book it's called like Fuck, I don't remember what it's called, but it's about travel. Okay. And it's about a woman who travels the world with her husband, and it's the same woman who wrote Under the Tuscan Sun.
1: Oh, I love the movie. Yeah. I
3: haven't read the book. So I literally, like, my ideal day is I lie on the couch and with a glass of wine, and I just close my eyes and visualize where she's at to put myself in that story.
1: I do think it's important to note that as much as we are pushing print and we will, we want to celebrate print, I we are just, at the end of the day, celebrating staying reading. Mm-hmm. So like, however you do that. Mm-hmm. yeah. You
0: have some stacks here. I know, I
1: have some stacks here. So I brought...
0: Well, let, let's talk, look at The Watchman. Why do you bring that?
1: Well, okay, so The Watchman was the first graphic novel I ever read. I, I went to school for English Lit and I took a graphic novel course. And so I, so you two come from kind of like a non-fictional background in terms of reading. I've come strictly from fiction. Like I was actually going to bring the first fantasy novel I ever read. And I still remember to this day, like my dad and my aunt conferring in a corner being like is it too is it too mature for her what was it it was called uh, magician's apprentice and honestly as a kid you don't really understand it at the same time so kind of like i'm reading the action and the adventure and that storyline um so i was debating bringing that but then i also just for the sake of bringing you know a variety of print um i brought Watchmen because i i Aquila and I can say I we're like I I want to say this we're into superhero yeah like, they're, re- drama, they're actually right?
2: they're updating the Watchmen yes, and releasing a, it on TV. Yeah,
1: for HBO or something yep. and the the take on vigilante um justice and just human nature in in this book and and also really just show me how complex graphic novels can be and how intelligent they can be. Um, I read, actually, quite a few graphic novels in that course. Um, This one was just a standout because it was something that I personally just, like, loved in terms of the content of it. I'll
2: say this. I mean, I guess I probably have to take a step back and say I do read a lot of fiction, or I did at one point, because you put up The Watchmen, (laughs) and that made me remember, like, Batman was very seminal in my life. Like, the Batman comic books... Because I think here's the thing about Batman, he's got a crazy moral compass. How, you, like... you you think first off he doesn't kill?
1: Yeah, no, he doesn't. He's he, like gets, Superman, he goes right? into
2: battle and he does not kill. He mm-hmm. makes it his mission to anonymity. Okay, like he, he 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 is like anonymous. No one knows he's Bruce Wayne. And another thing I like about him is um, people say Bruce Wayne is actually Batman's alter ego. Oh. He's not actually Bruce Wayne. He's not a playboy, philanderer. He's none of those He's things. Really, He's actually he really Batman. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Bruce Wayne is all through ego. And for me, I think... I've reading, never heard that. Yeah, I've never heard yeah, that. I never he heard that. Well, I go Batman. deep into That's Batman funny. fan theory sense. and stuff. But I think for me, it's like I'm talking about like life hacking and stuff like that. I got a lot of my personality from superheroes, sadly. Like, my obsession with working out comes from superheroes. Like, I used to look <laughs> at the covers of, of like, um, comic books and be like, yo, I want to look <laughs> like Batman. Like, that's that's how I want to look. But I think superheroes... You're yeah, almost <laughs> there. But they have this huge moral compass, right? And they're always tied to, like, a greater cause. And I think, for me, that's something I took from comic books.
0: And I, well, I think that's why they resonate, right? And we are looking for those heroes who are looking for our better selves, Um and when you see this like extreme personification of these attributes that are present in day to day life, like of wanting to be anonymous or wanting to make a difference or like Batman taking from his trauma to try to um, like drawing on that to why, like, why doesn't he kill? Because he was traumatized by his parents, parents being killed, being killed mm-hmm. right? So it's like wanting to make the world different <laughs> mm-hmm. um, than what you experienced in that vulnerable place. Um, I wanted yeah. to see what. What do you have for us?
3: Um, well, just when you pull up the Watchmen and thinking about graphic novels, I just started thinking about how a lot of them are quite sexual, mm. and that sort of jumps out at me. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but more like manga, maybe, or is it graphic? Life sexual. No, life like, is sexual. It's, it's
3: a little more <laughs> pronounced, <laughs> right? If they're breasts, they're bigger. If oh, I see. Yes. Yeah, it's like a little yeah. fantastical yeah. when it comes oh, to. Yeah. The body. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, I went to Japan last year, and it is a phenomenon, phenomenon where you have people at the 7-Eleven because that's where everybody goes for food oh, and yeah. hang out. Yeah. Just Eat standing so. there with oh, their no, graphic it's like novels. it's phenomenal,
1: the 7-Elevens there. Sorry.
3: Ed yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: H- how phenomenal? Sorry to interrupt, but what's so dope it's just, about the 7-Elevens?
3: It's kind of represents accessible modernity where, ah. you know, it's kind of a counterculture. Like, there's mm. so much finance and there's so much, like, entrepreneurship and there's so much commerce there. Everybody chills at the 7-Eleven. And the options
1: there, too, just from a, like, a, I don't even, I'm not even a foodie, but the options in terms of what they have, it's like.
2: Well, I've heard they have the worst chocolate bars. Think Probably, about, like, but they have tea everything
1: else. Like they uh, have... What do
2: you mean? That sounds amazing.
1: Okay. Everybody <laughs> right. is. Green tea. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Go on though. So, <laughs> so everything's hypersexual. and yeah, it's like. Represented. I, I find it
3: really interesting. You know, when I was a kid, I used to like hide in the corner and read them because it sort of gave me. You know, I used to read Archie like comic books, mm. and it gave me like some fantasy to be able to date and like mm. express your feelings. <laughs> and then in Japan, it's very much about fantasy. Right. And so you see like 20 people just standing there in the magazine racks, flipping and flipping. And there's a, it's like the secret world, right? Well,
1: there is a secret world. So when I went to Japan like over a decade ago, um, I remember it was the heat of summer. So it was like August. like, And I was in this point, I was in Kyoto, and it's basically an oven because it's surrounded by mountains. So mm-hmm. I walk out and I'm wearing what I would wear in Toronto I was wearing tank top shorts, like quite short, quite you know, spaghetti straps. and But it was just like summer to me. I walk out and every woman and every man, every man's in um, a tie and suit. Every mm-hmm. woman is wearing like a cardigan and long skirt. And I felt like I was on display, especially after I walked into a ma- what I thought was a manga store with costumes. And I'm like... I'm just going to get a costume for, it was August, I'm going to get something for Halloween. Walk in, no, it was not that. Every And it was a tall building, and every every floor I went up just got more and kinkier and kinkier. Oh, it was
2: a sex shop. And I
1: was just that's like, normal. yeah, and I was in just Japan. like, and it's so yeah. repressed, but the thing is, it is. It's like mm-hmm. a secret world, because everywhere else it's repressed. Yeah,
2: I was going to say, that's something I've heard a lot about the culture, is it it's is. very yeah. repressed.
1: And that's why it's interesting to see it manifest in in print in books in like yeah. image in like comics and manga absolutely and i'm reading like
3: the artist lights right so she created a comic graphic novel to go with her album oh. so i'm reading that um just to sort of get to you know her a little bit better snoop
2: Dogg did that on his
0: first album yeah
3: yeah
1: i remember
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, that, yes. that was a that little was dirtier <laughs> <town>. <laughs> on top of the doghouse yeah uh,
1: but, this is like sorry we gotta say this is like 10 30 in the morning this is not the conversation <laughs> i thought sorry I was
0: people have. well <laughs> you, you know i wanted to um pull on what you're saying though because i think like there is, within that comic world, and especially like the big titles like DC and, and Marvel, they you they do over-sexualize they do. the men, the women, do. especially the women, yeah. like to another level. But there's this whole other, and that's why, so this book is an interesting one. So this is a Canadian um, sister team of a writer and illustrator. This one summer is one of the books they've done together. Um, Rico Tamaki and Jillian Tamaki. And what's really interesting for th- about this one is, like, mm. this is a story about a, a young girl whose, like, f- parents are just about to be divorced. Mm. They sh- go up to this cabin, um, and it looks kind of like a cabin along Lake um, Huron. And there's a friendship with another girl, and you're just seeing, like, the- her parents are together, and they're just, like, experiencing this summer where um, one girl, her family's falling apart. And another girl is kind of Our the child. girl whose family is falling apart is finding some kind of refuge in this other family. But the interesting thing, this other family is kind of dysfunctional in their own way, even though they're together. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you're like, mm, maybe they shouldn't be together. <laughs> um,
3: well, exactly. Like it, I find graphic novels, there's always a little bit of something that's not perverse, but there's some type of sexual tension there. Um, and, like, so, for jumping back to what I was saying about Lights, it's really... The reason why I wanted to read it, too, because it's she's a female writer. And mm. I wanted to... I was so tired of sort of seeing, like, the hypersexual... From the male from perspective. From the male perspective. Mm. And she does the same thing. But she explores a, a relationship with another woman and just... And also coming into her own. And the visuals are equally as pronounced. Mm. So, I'm just fascinated by this like weird sort of sexuality that pops up in all of them
1: well i think uh, maybe our fascination with nonfiction is because fiction is just that mm-hmm. it's like our an, an ideal you know what i mean so yes as much as fiction can explore harder truths or like realities there's there's this opportunity to kind of saying, like, this is what I would want to be, so why not read about that? Mm-hmm. And then we, like, foil that in with our nonfiction and, and like, and then figure out how to be happy just with ourselves and what's actually reality. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, like, even... It's so interesting. First of all, I want to write... so I wanted to write something like this for my with my brother, so I'm like, yeah. what? This already exists? Of course so, it already well, exists.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's like, within this space, I think the we're seeing more and more people pushing formats in different directions so Mm -hmm. maybe that is like there is that say over sexualizing or over just like fantasizing in that form like this one is was very like as someone who's you know my parents split when i was pretty young and like reading this it wasn't any any extreme way it just Mm -hmm. really captured a lot of reality and i happened to read this close to the time when i went to lake huron which i'm not out there often it's not like a regular thing for me um and it just looked like when you see like What the beach looks like Mm -hmm. and then like this one moment you're seeing here where you see this girl under the water she goes above it and then back down but it's like the subtlety of this is like what she's going through is out of her control and here's this kind of moment where just being in the water and you really feel it at this moment in the book when she goes under the water you you feel that release
3: but what i like about what you're showing me is that there's actually not a lot there Yeah, and in these graphic novels, you're you're overstimulated. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Every Every like page is like full color and extreme, which which is a cool form of the art as well. Well,
3: they're they're Japanese, right? Uh, One of them
0: sounds Japanese. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) made an assumption here, but it sounds (laughs) Megan.
3: (laughs) I'm Korean. No, I'm just saying, like you know, (laughs) know. you're gonna get a deciding vote.
2: Japanese (laughs) artists, man. I'll say this is the
1: forefront
3: about the
2: hyper like. I get that, like they they draw them like ridiculous, like it, it's, But the men
1: are the same too. Yes,
2: yes, and it's it's weird because I think some people, I don't know, I, some people let it bother them. I've never let it bother me, but I think it's also like it says much about like how everyone like internalizes information. Mm. Cause like for yeah. me, it's like I know I'll never get there. Like I'm not gonna look like Batman, but just the fact that Batman exists is kind of like. A light in the sky. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like okay, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's something to work towards. Yeah. You know. Is it a bat signal in the sky? <laughs> it might just be a bat signal above Gotham Precinct.
3: I've wanting to do that with art for so long. Just have like crazy bat signal. Oh wow! With like different messages on it.
2: We should do that. That's to
0: happen. You had a passage yeah, yeah. you were going to read. Well, I mean, so for me, again, a lot of
2: what I read is about just like, trying to be something more than I am. And I stumbled ac- up across a guy named Joe Dispenza um, in my studies. Because <coughs> I, I look at reading as studying. I, I, I guess mm-hmm. for a lot of people, reading is a pastime. But, I mean... I look at it as just straight up study. So I spend most of my time studying. What I, what, I look at watching TV as studying. Yeah.
1: Well, I actually like that. And I'm going to start thinking about it that way because I just think of, I always just think of reading as luxury, especially yeah. the older you get, right? Wow. More time. Like, I, I, don't, I, I just think of that. But if it's studying, it's like, no, I'm putting time aside mm. to learn something, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, whatever. Yeah. Anyways, read your passage.
2: Okay, this is my relationship <laughs> yeah. with information in general, simply yeah. because I felt like I didn't have any of the accurate information. Mm. So I've always had that relationship to it. So Joe Dispenza is a guy, um, he's pretty similar in my life at this point because of um a couple of bu- books he wrote. But one book he wrote was co- called Being, Becoming Supernatural. Mm. And um it's a little woo woo it's a little out there, but I think he's really broken down the science of spirituality, positive thinking, blah, 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 into, like, actionable commands, guidelines. And I think um, it's been really fruitful for me. So this is um, one of the passages that I decided to quote from Becoming Supernatural. It's a little scientific and doctory, but let's go. Let's go. (laughs) Making genetic changes, we used to think that genes created disease and that we were at the mercy of our DNA. So if many people in someone's family died of heart disease, we assumed that their chances of also developing heart disease would be pretty high. But we now know, through the science of epigenetics, that it's not the gene that creates disease, but the environment that programs our genes to create disease. And not just the external environment outside our body, cigarette smoke or pesticides, for example, but also the internal environment within our body, the environment outside our cells. What do I mean by the environment within our body? As I said previously, emotions are chemical feedback, Mm -hmm. the end products of experiences we have in our external environment. So as we react to a situation in our external environment that produces an emotion, the resulting internal chemistry can signal our genes to either turn on, upregulating or producing an increased expression of the gene, or to turn off. Down regulating or producing a decreased expression of the gene. The gene itself doesn't physically change. The expression of the gene changes, and that expression is what matters most because that is what affects our health and our lives.
0: Mm. And it's pretty scientific, but I think too, if you like, I mean, it's just like what people say if you're overstressed, you have a higher chance of cancer, higher chance of heart disease, higher chance of dementia, like all of these, even diabetes can be accelerated by it. If you have HIV and you have a high stress situation, then the health um, outcomes for you are accelerated. I think that's really like powerfully said. Yeah. For for me, it stands
2: out too, because he's talking about genes. But I think, I mean, what what works on the micro works on the macro too for me, right? So like you take, I'll talk about a gene. I I can take that exact same paragraph and put it to me as my life. Growing up the first 20 years of my life, I was in a certain situation and my life, looked a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really change much until 21, started reading, started doing some different things, changed the environment. And then my life, the last sixteen years, has a completely different complexion to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm much like the cell or the gene in my body. I've been upregulated or downregulated by my environment. Mm-hmm. And so I really resonate with anything that like you can extrapolate or shrink and it still works. Right? So my models
0: need to work at all levels. Mm-hmm. All skills, yeah. Um, I want to ask you about this book. Mm. I know you haven't seen it. So Sorry, it's a magazine called Cultured. Um, on the cover story is Toyin Oji Adutola with, and a conversation with mm. Um, So they're in this conversation. Um, just like, one, it's a beautiful magazine. Uh, if you can see mm-hmm. Minimalism, Not beautiful. Monochrome is the title of the article. But there's a, this moment where they're talking about Um, Solange's show that she did at, I think it was at the MoMA. Mm.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, No, it was Guggenheim.
0: Guggenheim, yeah. Major institution. Mm -hmm. And um, Oji's asking her, like, basically, did you see a lot of pushback? Mm -hmm. Or did you start to think about, maybe I should try another venue? Mm -hmm. And I'll read you what Solange says. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of just your your response would be amazing. Um, You know, I think that I've been extremely lucky and that I've made myself abundantly clear about my practices. But the main issue I've encountered is the expectation of entertainment, the expectation to come and perform and sing and dance and activate the art space as it is, and then go home. That is something that I've pushed back on and resisted from day one. I think it's important to talk about this because I was that young 14 or 15-year-old black girl with an interest in art who would have never, ever felt like I had a space or that I had a chance to call myself a performance artist in these institutions. And that's the only reason I speak to it. I have to constantly remind myself to be honest about it, because at the beginning of this project, were there invitations to activate art spaces, were there invitations to activate them as a performance artist? Were there invitations to activate them with culture? Were there invitations to activate them with 200 bodies in it? Absolutely not.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the truth. Um, It's funny. I was, like, fascinated with that show, and I sort of have dedicated, like, my last, as you know, a couple of years to being a disruptor, you know, and bringing massive invitations to people who wouldn't normally have them. And she's absolutely right. There is no seat at the table. Like, so you know i've been carving it out but for her to be clear on her expectations and boundaries and not being seen as a performer i think is amazing and i wish people would be really clear about that too because i try and do that a lot in my practice like i'll try and bring like bridge music and art because i feel like Music is a universal language that is accessible to everybody and art should be. So mm-hmm. why not merge the two?
1: Music is art.
3: Yeah, exactly. And um, so when I work with artists, it's we do exactly that. We don't do a performance. We always make something visual, mm-hmm. you know, that blurs those boundaries and disrupts the system. And I actually talked to somebody from the Guggenheim about that show. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I think she was clear, like, as she's stating in that article... And on the other end of the Guggenheim, I think there was some, from what I heard, there was a little bit of, I don't know, I don't want to use word misunderstandings, but maybe there was an unclarity on their part. So I think what's key is artists are in their head. So you always need somebody to, to be that curator, to be that in-between person, Mm -hmm. to bridge the institution and the artist, which is me. And that's exhausting. But a lot of them do need that. So... Super dope that she feels that way and as she should. And in order to continue to make that bridge, you need that person who builds it.
1: What's interesting is I actually am linking it to what you were saying about your environment and like it's just switching it up, right? It's just like being aware and then you're – by putting out that energy or even those words – you are now affecting. So wait, so the she uh, did
0: art for the Guggenheim. She, yeah. yeah, she did this bit like major performance. So, but it like was an installation it. where she she had two hundred people mm-hmm. move through the space. I think it's through like a stairwell and through the opening of the the oh, yeah, lobby. Yeah, and and, and they wanted to perform. Well, they they basically I think from what I get, which really was a, a revelation to me because you know I, I'm not ever behind the scenes in that kind of project was that. They Guggenheim, you know, it opened the space. We want to work with you, Solange. We want you to activate it. But had looked at her as an entertainer mm-hmm. where she was looking at herself, I'm a visual artist. I'm not go- like you bring me to you know a concert, you know, arena or something, but she's no, I'm gonna perform. Yeah, she is, but she's like, I'm not going if I'm gonna go into an arena or on a stage, I'm gonna go sing. And and you know, I and even there, she still creates kind of a visual art experience as well. But she's like, No, I'm coming into this space as a visual artist i'm going to activate it with whether it's how what people are wearing how the um, choreography moves to the space overall what the narrative is and how the music speaks to the bodies speaks to the space and and found that like tension and struggle with like um i see myself as a visual artist but i'm being seen as just an entertainer. Mm-hmm. And I I want to be more than an entertainer because there's that other 14, 15-year-old black girl who want, I want her to see me owning this space. She's and, trying to be Batman. Know.
3: Well, what, she, what she's doing in her head is an intervention, right? You intervene the concrete jungle, like the white block, the positions of power, which is totally right and it makes sense. I just don't know whether... It was explained that way. Like, what's the mm. reading of the situation? Mm-hmm. Speaking yeah. of reading, right? Like, we're constantly reading situations and we're constantly translating text. So, in a way, like, she almost needed a translator yeah. of her story. You know what I'm saying? That's but, so on the other hand, her not doing it and just showing up, maybe that's part of the practice. But it's very real what she's talking about.
1: And also, at the end of the day, too, like, translator, no translator, explicitly said or implicitly implied. Like, it... When you're putting something out in the world, your your message is always going to be changed, mm-hmm. right? Everyone's perspective is is going to color that. So I think she, hopefully, like, you know, she's been in this industry for how long? You know, the sister of Beyonce as well. Mm-hmm. She understands, like, she has control, but she has no control at the same time. And so if she, at the I think what our conversation has kind of all, like, revolved around, too, is just how are we, what are we doing for ourselves that we are, that continue to keep us happy and in balance. And I put balance in quotation marks because I don't think there is such thing. And then whatever we put out there, like, understanding that, um, yeah, we've relinquished that control, but hopefully Mm -hmm. people see, yeah,
2: like, what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Just to play devil's
0: advocate, why would the
2: Guggenheim go to launch?
0: Is it not because of her reputation as a well, performer? I mean, I think it's... So there's this bigger conversation that's happening where you have these large cultural institutions, and um, you would know this really well, that have a very old, aging, mostly white... That's what I was going to say. I'm give a fuck um, about the Guggenheim. Well, the thing is, so a lot of these institutions see their their audience changing. They recognize that technology's changing, culture's changing, so audiences here's what changing, I want so to they make. want to be more relevant. Here's I want
2: to make. So someone's going to bring her people to the Guggenheim, yeah. instead of creating her own space when the Guggenheim's audience is shrinking. And uh, this, is, this is how my yep. brain works. I don't fuck with old institutions like that simply because if you look at their history, that's what they are. And I think there's a huge swinging point right now where we have an opportunity to own and to create our own shit. Now, this may not be relevant to Solange's situation. I like it when people just take their audience and
0: make the future. No, okay. no, but it's a, so that's a there is that element, I think, for sure. We do have to be thinking about creating our own institutions because, like, you say you look at like TIFF is a it, you know, a, is an institution in the world, it's like the public number one public um, film festival on the planet. But at one point, it was some people who were like, yo, we should do a film festival in Toronto, and most people thought it was crazy. So, we can build our own institutions, but also, it's like the AGO, say, as an example, is like that's how much public dollars have gone into that since it started and how many tax write-off dollars have gone into that like so it's in a sense we own it just because the people at the um helm right now are taking it in a direction that makes you feel like i'm not interested in that does that mean that we can't just take that infrastructure take that brand take the the um you know the relevance and validation that that brings and And shift it Mm -hmm. so that you do feel. No, it's dead. You can definitely do that. So it's an interesting, interesting one. I think, like you know, but just the fact that what I love about just pulling that out, that magazine article out, is like I didn't know that she was having that tension.
3: I have a weird obsessive personality. If I read something that you know is compelling me to do things, I'll put energy into it and do something about it. And this is where I wish I could just read for luxury, and I'm trying to now. But like you said, I wouldn't, like what you read about, like I couldn't read about something about the civil rights movement because then I would start approaching, you know. Oh. So, you know, I'm trying to get back there because everything is energy, right, and where we put our energy. And, you know, right now I'm also reading a book about climate change. You know, it's mm. called The End of Ice. And uh, it's, Director X told me to read it because he had read it. And it's really, really uh, interesting. And it's about this reporter who had done a lot of, like, mountain climbing and mountaineering, and now he's noticing that the ice is just disintegrating, disintegrating, Mm -hmm. disintegrating, and basically by, like, 2100, it's going to be gone. And so that, to me, is, like, this push-pull I constantly feel because I want to read it to enjoy it, but then I also feel like, oh, now I'm going to have to go do something and make a big artwork about a glacier, which I am, you know? (laughs) So there's always that,
1: that,
0: like...
3: Like twisted thing about yeah. reading with me. It Sounds
0: and so tortured. It like. is. Well, yeah. this, is, this is
1: yeah. This interesting thing too It's yeah. just like I I have to toggle. So I'll read something like the Untethered Soul, which I brought, and then I'll read like Daisy Jones and the Six, which still have like so many takeaways. I like that but...
2: That's probably why I stick to one subject. I'm still trying to <laughs> fix that subject. So don't stray You're to still something else it. and then yeah. scatter my energies.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I read with a pen. Yeah. I'm constant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. Same, like same. underlining yeah. stuff and. What you talked about with energy, I mean, that's totally, absolutely true, right? And we, every single, if you go on YouTube, every single self help thing is all about energy in your cells and Mm -hmm. how it's in the environment. So everything that we consume is creating our environment. So like we're curating our lives by picking up a book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because then it becomes part of you. Attention, uh oh, what's it called? Attention economy. Attention
2: economy, right? Yeah. Yeah. My favorite way to explain that is someone goes uh said to me once, When you pick up a stick, you don't just pick up the end that you picked up, but you picked up the other end of it too. Mm -hmm. That you're not holding. It's true. So whenever you pick up a book, you pick up that book, but you pick up the problems that come with that. It's true. It's trippy.
0: For all the listeners out there, the environment we are recording in doesn't seem to be that important because you can't see the space. But to get beautiful sound, whether it's for a podcast, recording music, or even for film, TV, and advertisements, the space you're in and how it runs matters.
1: That's why we record Stay Reading out of Post Office Sound in Liberty Village. From the raw audio to creating a sound bed and all of the magic that happens in post, the difference can not only be heard, it can be felt.
0: So to all the creatives out there, if you need great audio, think post office sound. Akil said he loves poetry. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to um, pull from this book. So this is like a collection of some poets that are based in Britain. Oh, um, you nice know War Sand Shire yeah. is like the, you know, the most um, mm-hmm. Famous of the three, Sharon Olds and Malika Booker. But I want to read this quote, our poem from Malika Booker, and then Keel. I um, would love to hear um, what stands out and Megan, what, what sticks with you from this. So it's called Burial Ground. There are dark places, drunk with grief, where water drizzles. There are wilted flowers and dried wreaths. There is your grave hidden back there, behind God's back. There are clusters of Charles buried here. Neighbors in this family plot. Two lone wooden stumps mark the grave where you wait for that marble headstone etched with your name. There is wild bush and the broken fence where your nephew crashed that rented car at your funeral when his vision blurred with tears. There are the marks we leave and those that will be made. Hmm. Heady. Very reminiscent and melancholic. Mm-hmm.
2: I like it. I mean, I think one thing I like about poetry is like people really get deep into themselves, but they also expose themselves a lot, and they expose kind of like their um their default positions. Mm-hmm. I think us as a race, we have a really bad or poor understanding of death. Mm-hmm. So I like to listen to like, it's dope to hear people talk about death because like it just seems like we've assigned so much meaning to mm-hmm. death and so much darkness to death, and like mm-hmm. I'm I don't, I don't readily assign that stuff to yeah. it. I'm not comfortable saying that stuff about death. But it's dope to always hear someone's description of it because it kind of tells you what they're dealing with when they think of their own death, right? And I think poetry is just one of the best forms of self-expression. Like you'll get stuff out of poetry that you could never get because you're mm-hmm. asked to describe things that you wouldn't that you wouldn't describe in a certain that way mm-hmm. like in your regular life. like look at that lamppost. That's cool. or else look at that lamppost. 1930s, fluorescent light. You know, you're really getting into something and really getting deeper. And I think like she's describing, like, the fence where the kid crashed. Yeah. So now you're remembering a memory that you don't even have. Yeah. Like, you, when you hear the fence where your nephew crashed, you're thinking of, I pictured, like, a brown Oldsmobile and a crappy three-peg wood fence. Like, you know, she's giving you memories that you don't have. So it's dope. I like that.
1: I'm going to read this passage um, from The Untethered Soul. uh, And it's from my favorite chapter, um, which kind of, like, brings everything that you're learning in this book to, like, a stark, like, realization. You fear death because you crave life. You fear death because you think there's something to get that you haven't experienced yet. Many people feel that death will take something away from them. The wise person realizes that death is constantly giving them something. Death is giving them meaning to—sorry, death is giving meaning to your life. You're the one who throws your life away. You waste every second of it. You get in the car, drive from here to there, and you don't see anything. You're not even there. You're busy thinking about what you're going to do next. You're a month ahead of yourself or even a year. You're not living life, you're living mind. So it is you who throws your life away, not death. Death actually helps you get your life back by making you pay attention to the moment. It makes you say, my God, I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose my children. I could be the last time I'll see them. From now on, I'm going to pay more attention to them and to my spouse and to all my friends and loved ones. I want to get so much more out of life and that's like
2: so the whole death thing like again the reason why I got into reading specifically okay so when I was 19 I battled a pretty bad depression I had some legal problems and I dropped out of college and I think I went to the chapters at like where the Scotiabank theater is oh yeah, yeah. went upstairs and I stumbled I on the Dalai Lama's book of happiness mm-hmm. and that book kind of got me into like the spirituality books but the thing I think that allowed me to, like, get out of that and to move on was in Buddhism and Zen, they talk about death so much. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something our culture doesn't mm-hmm. do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think there's a certain point where you talk about death so much, at one point you're like, you know what, fuck death. Mm -hmm. you know like I'm just gonna go out here and I think the the problem is we don't talk about it enough Mm -hmm. I think if you read those Buddhist books and stuff like that like they talk they put it in your face so much Mm -hmm. and they overexpose you to the concept where you almost get over it
1: well it's not even Mm -hmm. getting over it though it's like it's literally um, embracing something that's going to happen at any moment and in this book it also says that like everyone has died in every way you could imagine that you do when you wake up brush your teeth to when you lay your head back on the pillow like Mm -hmm. what you did in a single day Person has died doing something. So like, it really, and that's when I'm. So I've only read this book recently. So I'm literally. I
2: love that book. Yeah,
1: I know. We were talking about it. That book changed it. my life. And like, mm. I'm reading this and embracing not only that chapter, but specifically that chapter, but the whole chapter of uh, the whole book, and understanding like, I'm trying to rewire my brain so that I can pay attention and be appreciative and have better relationships. Like, I'm such a brat. I'm like a brat. I'm the biggest brat. I know sometimes, and I'm like, stop it! Like, there's only one life we're living. Mm. Like YOLO. <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> um, you know, from the poem, that piece mm-hmm. there, and I, I, I was even thinking of like the piece you did with Director X, like Death of the Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where does that topic of death sit? with the work you do or with the reading that you do Mm -hmm. um or just overall like the role your thoughts on like the role of literature and kind of breaking down that taboo of talking about it
3: well i think it's really interesting if you look at the two readings that that we just heard about death you know you have the poetry and then you have like the self-help guide both of them are equally strong and i was just as soon as you were reading it got me starting to think that, oh, my God, actually, I've been reading poetry for the last 10 years. Mm. Like, when I'm reading artist statements, which I do mm. all day, all yeah. day, all day. So, let's say I've produced 10 projects, time 10 years, like, that's 100 projects. I'm, I've am i read 100 statements that are, are artist statements, and I just realized... Well, you read 100
0: artist statements that you were supposed to read, <laughs> plus all the other extra ones exactly. that you
3: didn't do. That yeah. I didn't do, but that, to me, it just like totally woke me up to say I have been reading poetry for, Mm. you know, 10 years. Um, And it's really beautiful because there you don't have to teach. We're here. They're teaching. And it's cool. You need both sides of your brain. Like I absorbed more from your reading of it because it was accessible and broken down. But this reading was more of like the emotion there saying Mm -hmm. it's also okay to like not really know what you're looking at. You know, and I I like, I think both are needed as we're educating ourselves. So it's cool that everybody jumps between. But in terms of death, I mean, it's very prominent in my my work. I'm always thinking about death and rebirth, death Mm. and rebirth. And that's not even a physical death. It's always like, okay, how are we shedding our skin? How are we growing? And to me, that is a death. And artists, I find, are very interested in death because for that very reason, it's waking you up to life. And I, I don't know whether it's just because we're in an extreme place or whether artists aren't afraid to go to that dark side. It comes up constantly, constantly. Well, being in, in
1: the mental health space, um, over the last three, four years, I've realized I, a lot of the people that I'm surrounded with are artists and creatives. And mm-hmm. so that's just a natural um, focus of mine as well. However, mental health and art, artists and creatives, like go hand in hand. Like mm-hmm. They're the people who... Um, have gravitated and, and obviously have a talent also to express themselves in this way, but there's something about art that helps them come to terms with the what. people who
2: see the ugliest things in the world need to see beauty the most, so they often try to create it.
1: Mm. And mm. boom,
2: <laughs> that's just that's how I feel. Is that, that That's not a quote because that that's just that's a keel. Wow, but I feel like it's true. Like yeah. I, I'll tell you this right now. Like, I don't talk about my early life very much. But I saw so much ugliness, mm. and so the only reason, like, I dedicate myself to like fuck to superheroes and the positivity and all this stuff, is because like if you've seen some shit, yeah, then you need to see well, something. Even else. that
1: it was mm. a poem you wrote to last year, yeah, right? for me, and like that was beautiful, and so. It's, I think I still have it. You still have it? Yeah, oh, yeah, Akil, it's on my Instagram. Akil wrote... So I have this, like, platform called The Sad Collective. Um, it's very much a passion project, so sometimes I have a lot of energy towards it, sometimes I have, like, <sighs> zero. And last year I did, like, the biggest project for it was um, One Brave Night event in in collaboration with Cam H and Akil was one of the speakers. Mm-hmm. And I gave them... Basically, I just wanted to tell them to tell their stories. It was a pan Not a panel. It was, like, an open mic style... Um, series and like I had a psychologist and he literally pretty much just lectured for like a great lecture but lectured for like a couple minutes Akhil wrote a poem another person just spoke didn't prepare anything just spoke and she didn't even Nestle I don't know if you know her mm. she didn't even know what she was going to say she thought she wouldn't say anything she brought mm. art to speak for her mm. and she actually ended up s- s- speaking about her life
0: we didn't intend to have a, the theme of death be like our, our <laughs> oh you our, bring me death. out it's going to happen but there Interestingly, uh, so there's a book called Blind Spot, and Teju Cole, he's a photography critic and photographer himself, but he writes for the New York Times, but he put this book together with all these um, images that he's taken in his travels, and he pairs it with writing. Mm. Um, his writing? Yeah, and what's interesting to me, the theme Blind Spot, he opens he opens the book talking about um, how inside each human eye and the eye of other vertebrates, there's a blind spot where the retina meets the optic nerve. This area, the optic disc, is insensitive to light and receives no visual information. Every person should, therefore, experience a significant blind spot in his or her visual field about the size of an orange at arm's length. Um, and yet, normally sighted people do not walk around with holes in their vision. Mm. Um, so I, I, that first blew my mind. But the, um, the piece here... So you see this image of, like, a car with a broken windshield, convertible. There's, yeah, like, there's a tree like branches, in it. And, yeah, And it says, um, he, he's in Wansi, and he says, I wrote to her, the house is nice, but Kleist shot himself about 100 yards from here. Mm. She wrote back, within 100 yards of anywhere, someone's shot himself. <laughs> wow. Probably true. Probably and, and, true. And I, I guess it's, like, to, to that point of, like... The I was struck by that um, or reminded of that by, you know, the statement that, like, you survive through your day, every day, hundreds of things that, like, someone didn't survive. um. Going on the subway. Um, So you have this poem.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is something that was inspired by Megan when she asked me to do this sad collective night. And so um, it kind of speaks a little bit to what I was talking about earlier, but here goes. I'm happiest when I'm not thinking. I'm happiest when there's no one there. Not no people, but no me. No ideas about who I am. I'm happiest when I'm not remembering that I'm a victim of many evils and the perpetrator of many more. I'm happiest when I'm not remembering that I'm successful or a very successful self-saboteur. I'm happiest when I'm not remembering that my heart has been broken and the hearts I have broken. I'm happiest when I'm not thinking. I am least happiest when there is no one there, no people, just me, and all the ideas about who I am. I am least happiest remembering I am short, loud, and obnoxious. I am least happiest remembering I am lazy, selfish, and unprepared. I am least happiest remembering I am impulsive, violent, and irresponsible. I'm happiest when I'm not thinking. So why do I keep thinking about why I'm not happy? <laughs> That's amazing.
1: Okay, so we have talked about some amazing print today and some audiobooks and other things. We'll, I'm poetry. We'll I got poetry. a live poetry reading. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so we've covered a ton of ground. Uh, um, I'll ask you first. Sure. What's the one thing that you take? Uh, what's the one thing that you take from everything we've shared today?
3: Um, I think you know, hearing Akhil's poem. I think I feel like a sense of freedom in the way you are, and the way you conduct yourself. And, like, because I straddle the same problem, like, overthinking. And for you saying that you want to get back to, like, the luxury of reading, I, you know, I'm going to take that away and, as well. But, yeah, it's like, you know, how do we start reading again for just the joy factor, knowing <sighs> we're in this high process society? Like, you can't even go on Instagram without reading a quote all day long, where I miss just reading just for, you know... Just for that, so I appreciate what you said about just not thinking, and maybe that's the way I'll navigate the next book I pick up. Is I'll just go and and just vibe with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I appreciate that. Thank oh, you. That's awesome.
2: For me, was thing I think the thing I realized I was triggered by the whole um, Solange and the Guggenheim mm. conversation simply because like I don't know I I have a relationship with the establishment and I'm very anti-establishment. So, but it was cool to hear because I guess you're from that side of the world. Mm-hmm. And so you work with that space. Just for me, I'm, I'm more likely to set the Guggenheim on fire than work with them. <laughs> so it was just, it's cool. And I just, and it was cool for me to realize I was triggered by something like that. Like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, like I really have a hard time dealing with the establishment. Mm-hmm. And so that was cool. And um, I think too, thank you for reminding me of the poem. Because I think I, I forgot, honestly. I forgot about poetry until you guys started mentioning. Like, I completely forgot about poetry like in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that in, like, existed as like, a like, as I, was like down down. I was a poet, that I write poetry, <laughs> that I love poetry. Like I've just been so busy with the raptors and stuff, I completely forgot about poetry. But just throwing this out there, do you guys read William James poetry? No. Uh, no. Please William read James? William James. I'm
1: taking note right Quite
2: now. possibly some of the so. greatest poetry you'll ever encounter.
3: You know what? I will say to counter you for 30 seconds, now people are establishments. Yeah mm. the amount of oh, yeah. stress i get dealing with you know certain people and it's not it's not a bad thing they just walk as if, you know, they are an institution. Mm-hmm. We've been
2: trained. You think about our generation, yeah. our generation specifically? Yeah. We're the generation that was told we were a brand.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and and I actually brand. find that more stressful.
2: Yo, now it's so stressful. I'm not being, a brand. Yeah. I'll, a go to, I'll go to meetings with like people and they'll be like, so I look at your Instagram and it's not really uniform. <laughs> I don't really get it. It's true. I'm like, it's a bunch of fucking pictures of me. <laughs> like, that's the uniform. yeah Yeah, I'm I'm, not going
3: further than that. And I wish we're going to come back to a place where it's like humanity is focused on just like us being like people with hearts that are... No, it
1: will because I always think of, especially when I think of the social media space, I always think of it as like fashion. So one year you have like maximalism, right? Like tons of color and Mm -hmm. loud print. And then the next year, almost without fail, become minimalist. And I've since been being in this space of like being public. um, And then also like mental health. I've seen... We've gone from like the super white curated feeds of, like two thousand fifteen, to then this like oh well, let's take a photo in front of a dumpster, mm-hmm. as well as let's start sharing all of our emotions. Mm-hmm. To now people are only putting like eleven photos up and being super private mm-hmm. and like or but- getting rid of their our their Instagrams and Facebook. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I'm looking at the younger generations, not even. So us. yeah,
2: I was I was having yeah. this conversation with a friend and. It, it's a pattern. No, right? there is if you, a pattern. If you take a step back and look at it, um, the generation that follows rejects the generation that was prior. Mm-hmm. You look at the 60s and you look at the 50s, mm-hmm. right? Well, so if, if our generation thinks we're a brand, mm-hmm. right, the next generation is going to think, F that, keep that off me. They already are. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, they don't want that's that, good. right? Yeah. That's good. And then and, the generation that follows will be anti to them. Yeah,
1: and <laughs> but then and that's the thing. It's just like... It's cyclical, and at the end of the day, I, I was just talking about George Carlin uh, recently. Like my, he's one of my favorite comedians, um, and he has this like perspective that I appreciate. It's very cynical, uh, but it's just like, you know, for instance, um, what like the hubris of the human race that we could save uh, another like in. Uh, Uh, extinct creature or a creature who's going to be extinct like this is the way of the world and we are also like the pests like we we are operating in a way that's going to be our fault and not to say we shouldn't just like throw everything away and like litter and not care and like not take care of ourselves but it's just like this higher like understanding that there is there's patterns and there's just um, things that are out of our control. so that's why I love reading, right Because then reading like brings it all back a little bit and, and update
2: your models of the universe. Yeah, it really you does. neurotic fucks <laughs> <laughs> but
1: what, Okay, but I'm gonna say what I love taking away from this was um our conversation of Batman and like superheroes and even kind of like the over sexualized um kind of like things in that world or mm-hmm. in books in general, I think I think I like this idea of, having um fictional role models or having something that just yeah this guiding star yeah, bill
2: cosby just supported the shit out of me batman never
0: will
1: <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's that's truth right there
0: <laughs> yeah for me i think i knew that you know talking about reading with is always a really interesting entry point in conversation i was saying you know for me it's a habit when i see somebody in the public i don't know holding a book i'll always be like Oh, what's that book? What's it about? Do you like it? Like, you know, um, and it's a, it's a conversation starter. But I think out of this conversation, I feel like, you know, um, and uh, Akil are you're both people I know, but I feel like I got to know some elements mm. about w- what you're going through now and, and who you are as a person that I don't think a general conversation, even if you wanted to tell me these mm-hmm. things, would have told me but by talking about what you're reading and your relationship to reading and reacting to other reading like i feel like i i walk away with uh you know a a connection to parts of what you're experiencing in life that uh i didn't walk into the room with so Mm -hmm. yeah most definitely i'm gonna go home and read some poetry man
1: (laughs) thank you guys so much for sharing those bits of you and your reading thanks
2: for having us yeah thanks for having us
0: Thank you for listening to Stay Reading. And if you want to find any of the titles we discussed today or learn more about our guests, you can always check at double underscore stay reading on Instagram.
1: And wherever you listen, don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share.